0: And welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Avinder Hardwar, and Jeff Kanata, and the whole gang is back together again. Hey, everyone, how's it going? A while, yeah. It's been like weeks since we've all been together. Uh, Jeff's been out from eye surgery. I was in Iceland last week uh, on vacation. But now we are back today uh, with a regular episode. What we're going to be doing tonight is discussing some what we've been watching and then moving on into an in-depth review of Brad Pitt's new movie, Ad Astra. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I thought before we get to what we've been watching, we could take a, a moment to kind of discuss what's been going on. Um, Jeff, what is the state of your eye at this point?
1: the state of my eye. Uh, it is doing a lot better. Thank you for asking. Um, it has been long, long road and it is still, we're not at the end of the road. I still mostly can't see out of it. Uh, but I'm also mostly pain-free, which is pretty awesome and able to return to my life and daily activities. I'm back working and Uh, taking care of the kids and helping out around the house. I'm basically able to do most of what I have done, uh, save for exercising and lifting heavy things. I'm still not allowed to do that. And I also can't sleep on my back, which has been actually the worst part, uh, not being able to having to sleep in one very specific position. Hmm. So I'm hoping there's not too much more of that. I have a doctor's appointment on Thursday, so hopefully I'll get uh, good news there, but I still have uh, a bubble that I can see in my right eye all the time. The bubble is shrinking as it's supposed to. It's a it's a gas that was injected into my eye that is now dissipating. So it's getting smaller and smaller. Uh, and as it's shrinking, I'm able to see over and around it, which is nice, but I still can't quite see everything out of the eye, so it's still a little challenging to play video games and watch things that are really long. But But, you know, it's getting there, so I'm doing well.
0: Glad to hear, and that is such a massive improvement from when you started this journey, uh, where you know it, it was like the worst case, like catastrophic scenario uh, yeah. when you originally started. But now it's like, hey, it's uh, almost like everything's back to normal. So, well,
1: I, in the in the first scenario, I would still be in this weird torture I, I chamber I think you would still
0: be Jeez. in surgery right now actually <laughs> yes it's a six week surgery
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah no I mean it was uh, it, yeah so things you worked out a lot remember
2: Minority then. Report you remember the end of Minority Report where Tom Cruise is just like chasing after uh, the thing mm. that, that, that's what Jeff would be doing right now yeah with the first surgery mm. that's, that's, that movie was very prescient <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, well, glad to hear it, Jeff. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into th- what what a movie to dive into today uh, to talk with you guys about. Ad Astra. I, I mean, visual I think it's,
2: splendor. It's going to be yeah. a great.
0: It's well. It's also about. Uh, it's it's like more like Dad Astra. Am I right? Yeah. More like Bad Astra. Okay. Anyway. Oh, um. Wow. So I thought I could share that uh, I had a chance to go to Iceland, which was awesome. Um, had Dude, a chance to. Your yep.
1: instagram feed i was I was glued to it the whole time. <laughs> I, between like bread made inside the earth and incredible rock formations and strange places that you visited. It just seemed like a uh, you you left the earth and went to a magical fantasy land.
0: i agree. it was it was like otherworldly in many ways. I won't bore you with all the details of the vacation. I'll just say I'll just talk about like three quick things. um one of them is as you mentioned like bread in the earth uh, so on the plane ride there I uh, was talking with my wife about uh, what we might see and there's like a magazine on the plane and it's there one of the listings was a, a geothermal bakery and she's like that sounds amazing and like when you imagine the word geothermal bakery right you you think yourself oh it must be like you, it's like a regular bakery Sure. But instead of using like a like a electric oven or something, the, like maybe the walls like made out of stone and yeah. they like put it's it like a into
2: Flintstones the... thing, yeah. back there, y- yeah, yeah, they like
0: put it into the earth or something like that. You know, like that's what it is, right? Yeah, and, and, and like that, that sounds extremely quaint and charming and also magical. So we get to the but the thing. So we get to the the quote unquote geothermal bakery.
1: By the way, before you get that far, I yeah. like the idea of you guys having no plan and being on the plane.
2: <laughs> that just is like the best way to take a vacation. <laughs> by the way, like the work for a vacation is so much. Like I, I like planning on the way. It's it's great.
1: Yeah, that sounds yeah. incredible. You're just sitting there like
2: yeah. Iceland, huh? That's what we're gonna <laughs> sure. learn. What, what should we do, honey? What should we do? Uh, I think York's from there. Yeah, Let's yeah. go visit York's house. Let's yeah. see.
0: So see a cigar roast concert. Um, <laughs> so uh, so we get to the the quote unquote geothermal bakery, and I want you to imagine the vibe of it. It's it's uh first of all the geothermal bakery is not like just a bakery. It's a um. Geothermal bakery. It's well, it's a uh, it, it's basically uh, shares a location with a spa. Right. right so it's like a spot where there's like geothermal springs, and people can like uh swim or bathe in these like extremely warm springs that are heated from the earth's core and we get there and l- the vibe of the quote unquote bakery is very much like imagine a middle school cafeteria right like th- that's the <laughs> vibe you want to imagine, so we get there we're like where's the Where's the magical bakery we were promised? And so we actually literally didn't know if we were in the right place. So we, we go up to them. We ask them, hey, uh, what's the deal? Like, is, is the bakery here? Like, what is this bakery that we were told? And they said, oh, yeah, there's tours every day uh, at, like, 2.30 and 4.30 or whatever. And that was, like, 40 minutes away. And it, it was really looking not promising, right? Because so we were like, should we even stay 40 minutes to, like, See what this mm-hmm. is. So we stayed 40 minutes, and then we paid, like, uh, it was, like, $10, I think, to go on this tour. And the, the bakery is literally—the guy walks out uh, uh, into, like, the middle of a field, <laughs> and he, he has a shovel, and he digs the ground open. Like, there's these piles of uh, dirt— that have rocks uh-huh. on them to indicate that, like you, you buried something there. And he just little rock, little rock that says bakery on it. Yeah, well, I'm gonna get to that. So then he digs, you know, this hole in the ground, and inside the hole is a pot that is saran wrapped. Oh, nice! And uh, that is the bakery. It's um, digging cool. and burying uh, pots with that are saran wrapped, and like so. The idea here is that the
1: the actual ground, yes. the soil is yeah. so hot because it is near this what geothermal vent,
0: that yeah, something like that it's actually not the ground. There's actually like uh, liquid. Uh, like if you dig, you know, there's like liquid under the ground. and the, wa- the that liquid is extremely hot. Right. Um, and so yeah, and but that that being said, like then he opens up the bread, it's delicious. And it's like you get, we got to eat bread that had been cooked by the the earth, which is kind of cool. That's great. So, so rad. So even though it wasn't what we expected, it was still kind of cool. Uh, so that's one thing uh, I had a chance to see, and that was very cool. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention, uh, I, I think I'm butchering the pronunciation. That's the thing is like the <laughs> the pronunciations of things are – there's a lot of like consonants in the words, the Icelandic words. And so it's hard to even pronounce for me, but – uh the place we went to uh, Reynisfjara R E Y N I S F J A R A it is a black sand beach uh and it was a filming location for Game of Thrones um hmm. it is basically where they filmed Eastwatch by the sea uh in I want to say season 6 or 7
2: right.
0: uh and yeah, uh, the one so where they
2: actually have a lot of conversations on on the seashore. I think I, I don't think know about a lot of
0: conversations. Like, there's a lot
2: of talking there.
0: Yeah, they just bit.
1: sold seashells. That's yeah. my yeah
0: yeah, yeah. seashore. Anyway, <laughs> far. its uh, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, and uh, we had to drive like three hours away from Reykjavik to get there, uh, but it was completely worth it. And so I would recommend that as like one of the most beautiful things ever. And if you want to see like the photos that just referring to, uh, do check out my Instagram at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky on Instagram. But, gentlemen, uh, I also had a chance to check out perhaps the highlight of the trip was my visit to the Icelandic Phallological Museum. One might say the reason for the trip. The reason reason for the trip, right. The reason Iceland was on your radar. So, uh, for those – like, I I seem – did I talk about the documentary on this podcast a few years ago, right? Many, many times.
1: it's (laughs) – Constantly a refrain yes. that I can't get out of my brain.
0: Yeah. So a few years ago on the podcast, I talked about watching this documentary called The Final Member, uh, which is about the uh, the guy who runs this uh, Icelandic philological museum, or basically the penis museum. I think it's the only penis museum in the world. Uh, and he collects penis specimens from uh, all different animals. I think animals native to Iceland. Uh, you, and, are you
1: able to take pictures when
2: you're inside this yeah, place, or is it? Yes, you, you are I just able was wondering pictures.
0: if they allowed dick pics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nicely done, Jeff. So, Thank you. so yeah, uh, the final member is a documentary basically chronicling this guy's mission to get the only specimen he was unable to obtain, which is a human. Uh, penis specimen, like that's what that whole movie is about. His um, white whale,
1: supposedly, supposedly, but although he does have a white whale,
0: correct? That's <laughs> correct, Jeff. Uh, and uh, I gotta say, the museum is super interesting. I mean, you, you go in there; it's it's been real. the The big disappointment for me is that it has been relocated from where it was in the movie, The Final Member. Yeah, um, the so,
2: iconic film, so you don't get to relive that movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's uh, it's now in downtown Reykjavik, in kind of like um looks like a kind of office uh building, uh, rather like it was. It looked like a very kind of quaint, almost like house in the original final member film. Um, but uh, in yeah, now it's it's kind of in like an office like structure in downtown Reykjavik, uh, and you really get to witness the kind of beauty of nature. In this museum, uh, there is like sperm whale well penises that are as as literally as tall as a human being, right? Uh, a, a sperm whale well ejaculate is like nine liters, you know. So like you you really appreciate how uh, beautiful and horrifying uh, copulation in nature is through this museum. So I uh, see. Just wanted to say, you know that it's really interesting and probably unlike any place I've ever been before uh, and lives up to what was promised in the movie The Final Member. For those who are waiting to uh, hear me talk about actually going to visit the place, which I never thought I would, um, I, I barely could dream that I would ever go to this place, <laughs> uh, but now you know, I have Freud gone...
2: would have a field day with this place. Yeah, like the, the whole motivation behind it, the drive to keep this museum going. Clearly, they got too popular; they had to expand. There's just so much to read into here. I think I actually think it was like the the creation of the museum
0: was really uh, like by happenstance. Uh, he, some guy gave him uh, <laughs> like a like some kind of a penis bone or something as a as a some get...
1: people find as great. he does. <laughs> And some people have greatness thrust upon them, Dave.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. As a jo- as a joke, and then he like kept like cl- collecting these specimens, and now like it's just specimens of all these animals now, and uh, it is just a really weird museum to go to. But I, uh, I, you know. I'm
1: looking very much looking forward to your upcoming documentary. Uh, dirt Bread and Nine Liters of Ejaculate, the Dave Chen in
0: Iceland <laughs> story. Yeah, it, it rolls trippingly off the tongue, the, the <laughs> title of the documentary. Um, so that's what I've been up to. Uh, okay. i been, been up to, <laughs> been in Iceland, would strongly recommend it. Follow
1: uh,
2: that, Davindra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Divindra, what's been going on with you? I, I, I went to Silicon Valley, and it was not very exciting. So, yeah, I cannot follow that up. I went to the Oculus conference, and mm-hmm. uh, I saw a lot of virtual reality stuff. So that was cool.
1: Uh, awesome. That's been one of the hardest parts for me right now is not being able to use VR. With oh, yeah. Eye.
2: The uh, the second episode of Vader Immortal is out, and yes. that sounds really cool. So that'll be a fun thing for you to do. But, Jeff, I think you should probably be careful with virtual reality because like that is like pointing a sun at your eye basically right you should probably probably worry about that for a bit
1: i don't know i I specifically asked my my doctor when this was all Uh going down if like too much screen time or (laughs) vr is contributing to this problem and he's like no no it's nothing to do with it so
2: in terms of like physical pain like vr like uh, i I think a smart thing don't do vr like two hours before bed or something like because it is if, if you think phone screens are bad or laptop screens are bad, try having a screen directly against your eyeball. It's <laughs> um, pretty bad. So good luck, Jeff. I hope you can play that soon. Did Thank Did you. your
0: parents ever tell you when you were little that, like, sitting too close to the TV would damage your eyes? Yes, oh, yeah.
2: of course. Yeah. But I don't think that's uh, ended up being true. It's, not true. Right, it's yeah. not true. It's not true. I also like to go back and tell my parents all the things they told me not to do. I was like, I'm making a living doing it now. So, ha! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You showed them, Devinder. You had the last laugh there. Anyway.
1: I'm making tens of dollars. Yes.
0: (laughs) All right, folks. Let's get to what we've been watching this week. So on the plane, I had a chance to watch a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, I just wanted to call out a few things real quick. First of all, I had a chance to check out Blown Away, the uh reality show that's on Netflix about
2: Tommy Lee Jones movie.
0: Not the Tommy Lee Jones movie. Not, not yeah, Lee Jones movie. movie. That's this is, what is I'm a. Thinking of. This is a TV series that's on Netflix. Uh, it's a reality TV competition for glass blowing. You guys heard about? Oh, this? I
1: watched some of that. <laughs> did you? I, I didn't recognize the name of it, but I, I, I did watch some. You of know,
2: that. sometimes I think we've gone too far. Like maybe, maybe <laughs> no, like, our. our- yeah, yeah. It's
1: brilliant because it, it. somebody just sat in a room and went, man, man, they're cleaning up with that like that cake competition show. <laughs> we need to find something else that is fragile, yeah.
2: <laughs> that you have
1: to move from one location to another, and it could fall and break.
2: Nobody what? else is doing. Yeah, yeah,
1: what could we do? What could we do? And then one guy went, "Uh, glass? And everyone went, you're brilliant! And then they made this show.
0: Yeah. uh, And while I think the production values are like, okay, you know, it's not like the most polished show. uh, It is really interesting in the sense that competitive glass blowing is not a thing I ever would have thought. It's not a thing I even thought you could make a competition out of. uh, And this show will demonstrate the things that are possible to do with glass uh, that can be actually genuinely impressive. So, that being said, I, I do have to confess, I did not watch the entire show. I literally would watch the first 30 seconds of an episode uh, where they explain, like, today's challenge is uh, you need to make a, a glass uh, you know, ex- exhibition that everyone can eat or something like that, right? Yeah. And um, uh, and then I would fast forward to the last, like, eight minutes where they, like, finish making wow. it. And you then actually get the did it. drama wow. of,
1: can they get it off of the, <laughs> what are those things called? There's
0: the stick has a special
1: name, I uh,
0: annealer, I think it is, or so, no, 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 that's the thing that they cool yeah. it in, but like the pin or something like that. Anyway, yeah.
1: yeah, they uh, yeah, it was uh, it's riveting. Are they gonna get it off, get it unstuck from the thing? Yeah, um, no, I skipped um, this all that. is the perfect example of where the gamification of it. Actually makes it worse, because <laughs> if you just made a documentary about gas blowing, glass right, blowing, right. where you just start from point A and show like how they made the get ga- the glass thing, it would be way better than going, who will you. Were you? Did you represent your childhood trauma in the form of this glass? What were the themes of your edible glass? No one cares. Just, it's amazing <laughs> to watch this craftsmanship. You could just show that, and it would be fine.
2: Yeah. Film it in slow-mo, and just give it to me, you know, in 4K, and I'll be happy. Yes, happens.
1: exactly. Make it uh, Planet Earth, not, like, which animal is going extinct next. you know what I'm talking this about?
2: This is why there's a <laughs> Penis Museum documentary, and not a Penis Museum TV series, okay? Mm.
1: So...
0: <laughs> I think we mm. just struck gold, guys. Oh, boy!
2: <laughs> so, uh, I will
0: say that one of the breakout stars... So, Jeff, did you finish watching the show? No, did you? Yeah, I mean, well, I got to the you end using the formula that I outlined just now. The
1: formula of watching... You actually
2: <laughs> watched the show, Dave. You watched, like, seconds. five minutes of every episode. I, yeah.
0: I, yeah, I watched, like, five minutes. Of, I watched what people had made. And there is a woman in it, Deborah Ceresco, uh, who is, like, the breakout star. Her stuff was so interesting. I just wanted to give her a shout out because like by far she was the most provocative and thought-provoking and interesting quote-unquote character on the show um, but yeah blown away uh, it will give you a renewed appreciation of competitive glass blowing uh, and so have to give it a shout out not uh, enough not enough Dale
1: Chihuly references for my money there Dave Wow
0: oh okay well
1: that's a deep cut glass blowing reference that, that
0: is not deep cut Jeff that's that like... is the <laughs> shallowest of cuts, but it's the only cut I know. <laughs> it is the shallowest of cuts. Um, <laughs> it's a shard of cuts. It's uh Dale Chuly is like what? The the uh cold play, you know, of the glass blowing world? I mean, come on. Uh anyway. Uh so also had a chance to check out another uh documentary, another sports documentary called Losers. It's actually a series of documentary, uh like documentary episodes on Netflix. It's uh, about uh Basically, the people who lost big sports competitions, and every episode covers a different sport and a different event. And I had a chance to watch a couple of them. One of the, the favorite, you know, uh, the, one of the ones I watched that I really enjoyed was about curling. I, I basically didn't even understand the rules of curling before I started watching it, and then I watched it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am riveted by this curling competition (laughs) um and so yeah i i think it's a great premise for a show and uh i uh like the execution as well so that's losers another show i had a chance to watch on netflix and finally uh i had a chance to watch unbelievable this is a limited series Mm -hmm. uh i'm going to read the plot summary here when a teen reports being raped then recants her story two female detectives follow evidence that could reveal the truth it's based on a true story, end quote. So uh, Unbelievable is really, really good. I think it's wild. It yeah. is a lot of things rolled into one. It's about uh, the consequences of uh, a rape. It's, about what, uh, it's also a uh, kind of a buddy cop movie of these two uh, police officers who are trying to track down uh, a serial rapist. And it's very,
2: it's very mind esque in that way too, and also those cops are uh, Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver. Yeah, like that's uh, that's pretty, that's a pretty great combination. It yeah. is a
0: great combination. They they put in great performances, and uh, and it's also kind of about like the bureaucracy of our criminal justice system, and it's uh-huh. about the like, first
2: episode is all bureaucracy. Yeah. and the injustices of it. It's a mess. Yeah,
0: so. Uh, I think it kind of illuminates or or adds a lot to the conversation for those three things that I just said uh, really well. And I would recommend it if you can handle the subject matter. Uh, But if you feel up to the task, you will find your attention is rewarded. Mm -hmm. I do think maybe, you know, like many Netflix series go on for like, you know, people say like a lot of Netflix series could be like 33% shorter And uh, I do think that the show maybe goes on for like one episode too much. Um, But other than that, I think in general, it's very, very good. And I would recommend it. Again, the show is unbelievable. It's on
2: Netflix. Devinder, it sounds like you've watched at least a few episodes. I have. I'm halfway through right now. And I have to say, it I've been looking for something great to watch like after finishing Mindhunter Season 2, which is fantastic. And this, uh, I think, hits a lot of the same notes, but, you know, it tells the story very differently. The first episode is entirely about um, the first rape that's reported here and the indignities. You know, this one uh, this one girl goes through, uh, played by Caitlin Deaver, by the way, uh, from Booksmart, which I'll be talking about in a bit. The first episode is hard to watch because it is so real, like all the indignities she has to live through. And by the second episode, things things kind of pick up a little because then you start to see like um, you start to form this team of, you know, women detectives who actually care a little more and are trying to, like, modernize this process. And I think uh, watch the first two episodes because I think the first episode is it is rough. It is really hard to watch because it is so it, it's just very depressing about the state of the world that this girl is going through and how she kind of has nobody to support her. It's just very sad.
0: And yeah, it, it's ba- it's episode, basically upsetting like like the the uh, the depiction of sexual assault is upsetting, but then like you yep. what the show helps you understand is like the aftermath of it is almost equally upsetting, if not more upsetting, um, than the actual event itself. But and then
2: uh, yeah, by the second episode you start to see like okay, things are changing. Like it's only fast-forward a couple of years, but you have women detectives in charge who care a little more or a little more empathetic with potential victims than uh, I think this this may be based on a true story. It is. As well. It is
0: based on a true story. Yeah, uh, it actually yeah. happened uh, not too far from where I'm sitting right now. Um, like it happened, I think, in Linwood, uh, Washington. So like about forty miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's based on a Pulitzer Prize winning article uh, in ProPublica, which I'd also recommend. Uh, but the the other thing I wanted to point out is just like it's a great move it's like a, a great police procedural it, the the yeah. analogy i would use is like spotlight is to journalism as unbelievable is to police work right sure, it, sure. it is it is very methodical about how Uh, It shows like what it takes to actually catch someone who's very difficult to catch. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, again, like I I think it it has a lot to add to the conversation.
2: So, yeah, I feel like Mindhunter is the thing that comes to mind because it feels like the first season of that show is seeing those two very different, you know, uh, FBI agents try to like form a connection, become a team. You basically see something very similar here. Um, And I I think it's really well done. I also have to say shout out to um, the creators of the show. Uh, Susanna Grant, one of the writers of, uh, I think, the writer of Aaron Brockovich, and also Michael Chabon is involved in developing the series. So there's a lot of talent behind it. And it shows. The writing is just, it is sparkling. It is so spot on and perfect. So it's worth a watch for sure. Yep,
0: it's unbelievable. Um, But, uh, you know, just be aware that the subject matter is very uh, intense and, you know, go into it with that knowledge. All right. So that's what I've been watching this week. Devendra, what have you been watching?
2: I did finally get to see Book Smart, uh, Olivia Wilde's movie that uh, I know a ton of people loved uh, this year. And it's about two basically two like high school overachievers who realize uh, they worked very hard and didn't have very much fun. And meanwhile, everybody else around them who seems to be dicking around uh, are fine. Like they're also all going to great colleges. Uh, you know, they're they're all like fine in life. And these two girls, uh, played by Caitlin Deaver, once again, uh, who was in Justified. I remember her from there, and yep, she is yeah. she was fantastic there. Amazing in that be show. Great. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you appreciated her work in Justified, Unbelievable is like even better there for her. Uh, and Beanie Feldstein is in this film, uh, Jonah Hill's sister, I believe. Uh, a great pair. And I I just have to say, like I watch a lot of high school movies uh, because I kind of lived through them vicariously because I didn't have a lot of fun in high school, and I think. This this particular story hook is pretty is pretty spot on where it's uh, I I don't necessarily feel like everybody around me partied all the time. And, you know, uh, I don't know it's it's not exactly the same, but I definitely had that inkling of like, maybe I missed something here. And maybe, you know, these grades didn't matter as much as like all these social experiences everybody else had got to have. So this movie is all about these two girls uh, basically trying to cram in. Uh, a crazy high school experience in one night and their journey to do just that i think it's really fun uh kind of raunchy and really sweet too like it's a uh, it's one of those like imaginary movie high schools where there really are no bad people you know it's, a, it's like everybody's just like chilling out together um it's not like one of the like old school high school movies where like they're bullies and uh, distinct social groups like that. Uh, so I kind of appreciate that. Maybe not too realistic, but certainly like a fun thing to see um, Yeah, you know, for high school kids in
0: general. That's book smart. It's available on video on demand right now. Uh, what else have you been watching, Devendra?
2: I also want to shout out, uh, I just threw this in late, Evil. There's a show on CBS called Evil. I didn't even realize the show was coming. Uh, it is by Michelle and Robert King, some of my favorite TV writers working today. They created The Good Wife. Uh, they did the good fight. Uh, they also did Brain Dead a couple years ago, and this show, I just love the way these uh, this couple makes shows. Um, think the X Files, but with the supernatural shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Wasn't the X Didn't the X Files deal with
0: supernatural? Like, a do you bit,
2: a bit. But I think more like more like possessions, more like demons. You know, like, more, like, not just, like, extraterrestrial stuff, but I think more on, like, a religious side of things. I um, mean, to stars... be fair, that stuff was also covered by the X-Files. It was, but... it was in the X-Files, <laughs> but the X-Files was more, like, you know, it it was more alien-focused. Like, I think it was a little broader. Uh, Finally, but this one... someone defending the X-Files. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on. This one's about a clinical psychologist who um, who basically ends up teaming up with a priest in training, played by Mike Coulter. Uh, very nice to see Luke Cage uh still on TV and doing fun stuff. Mike Holter was on The Good Wife and Good Fight as well. So he kind of has a relationship with this couple. And they're they're basically out there investigating uh potential possessions and other weird supernatural stuff. Asif Manvi is in the show as the like skeptical tech guy. He's sort of like the uh what was it the nerds from X Files like all wrapped into one character. Um who, who, what was their name? The Lone Gunman. Yeah, he, yeah, he's like the lone gunman is like one guy. Um, this show, it's constructed in a way that just appeals to me in sort of like uh, the classic shows I've always loved. I love teams of people, you know, uh, working together against some greater enemy. And uh, by the end of the pilot, I'm not going to say too much, uh, but uh, Michael Emerson appears. And you may remember him from Lost. Mm-hmm. He is he's part of like a big, bad conspiracy happening. And I just really dig everything happening here uh their writing is really spot on they write really fun interesting characters this show manages to be scary while also kind of interesting and energetic uh the only problem is on cbs and i feel like nobody watches anything on cbs so i've been telling people yeah
1: everyone everyone in the world evidently watches cbs it's just not us
2: not us (laughs) every like every senior citizen watches cbs but not like the people i'm trying to convince to watch these shows so I've been you know, harping on The Good Fight and Good Wife forever. Those shows I believe you could stream. You could definitely stream Good Wife on Amazon right now. Uh, this show is a lot of fun. If you have CBS, check it out. I just, they make such good TV shows. They, they figured out the formula, and I'm right here for it. Did All you right. say if you have CBS? Is that, is if that, you have CBS. Not everybody has it, even if well, you have you, over you, the air no i'm in new york and my apartment building cannot get the reception oh so wow it's, it's different wow. for a lot of people just if
0: you if you don't have cbs spend the 12 dollars on the <laughs> hd antenna and get cbs <laughs> <laughs> anyway they're
1: literally trying to beam it to your house right now <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah the show is it.
0: evil it's on cbs right now davinder anything else
2: I just want to throw a shout out to Untitled Goose Game, which I was playing quite a bit on my plane ride to and from San Jose. And uh, that game's glorious. Uh, We mention games once in a while here, I think when they do really fun narrative things. And Goose Game is, uh, it's Hitman with a goose. You (laughs) You are a goose. Nobody knows where you came from. Nobody knows your backstory. You just exist. You come into being, and you're there to fuck shit up. And that's it. That's it. I am Goose. Hear me honk. I love the game. Uh, if you have a Switch or like, uh, it's on a bunch of different systems right now, but it's a perfect Switch game. I've been playing it on the Switch Lite, which is nice and very portable and nice for traveling. Uh, it is a great little game and very like soothing because it's not a game you can lose. It's just a game where like you go around, and you have these goals, like you may have to like steal a hat from a gardener. You may want to like make somebody spit out their tea. That's all it is. You're, you're, you're a Hellraiser, but you're a goose. It's so much fun.
0: Jeff, my you, favorite thing you, about it. Yeah, I was gonna say you've been playing Untitled Goose Game.
1: Well, my favorite thing about it is that it's based on truth because yeah, goose I, suck. I go, geese, <laughs> geese are fucking demons. Goose bad. <laughs> they are demons. I grew up. My my grandparents lived sort of uh, in a rural area, and uh, they had a goose that adopted them. It just decided <laughs> it was moving into their property. That thing was pure. <laughs> evil it was absolutely wanted to eat and kill everyone it pecked at me multiple times as a kid it would come up behind me and go (laughs) just for fun
2: just for fun yeah Yeah.
1: they like they'll they're vicious geese vicious so this game uh accurate you know
2: all right totally accurate one of the tasks in this game is to terrorize a poor uh, a poor child yeah and just like make their life hell steal i was that child that was me Dimitra. i lived it. it Based on Jeff Kanata's life. Yeah. All
0: right. That's Untitled Goose Game. It's available on PC, Mac, and Switch. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week?
1: Well, I wanted to talk about an experience I had going to watch uh, an NFL game at a movie theater. Oh. Um, the the AMC theaters, which I don't. Are we allowed to talk about AMC? Uh, I am a member of a certain elite organization. Mm. Yep. That is connected to the AMC. Uh, I think we're. Still prohibited from saying their name out loud, but no.
0: I, I, actually, I do. I do have a, a really quick comment on that, which is that uh, my wife is no longer part of the A list. Um, Whoa! That I must know. be
1: awkward when when you, you stand in separate lines at the, at the theater, <laughs> the priority
0: line. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I definitely tell her like, "Hey, I, I'm. You know, you need to get your own popcorn. I, I get my <laughs> the, popcorn from the A list line.
1: The usher is like, "Is she with you, sir? And you go, "No. <laughs> never seen this woman before no. in my life. <laughs> she is not of the A list.
0: <laughs> so she tried to um uh cancel her A list and apparently it was a massive endeavor. Uh she had hmm. to like email like do four emails. Like there's no easy way to cancel the A list.
1: The thing that's uh, strange is that no one has ever heard of this problem before because no one would ever give up. She's the first person that has attempted to give up a list status. Yeah. yeah,
2: we didn't build this into the system. We never, <laughs> never figured out somebody would do
0: it. Yeah, you, you can. What is it like? Uh, is it the Hotel California or whatever the yeah. thing that you enter but you can never leave? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, why would you want to? Su- suffice to say, um, if you want to ever leave a list, which no one would ever do. Uh, you should plan on it taking at least an afternoon to get out of it. Really? So, really? I, because
2: yeah. uh, A-List, left, A-List left me, and I didn't even know. Because, like, it tried <laughs> to charge me one month. Uh-huh. And then a day later, they are like, oh, well, guess we can't charge you. You're out! You're gone <laughs> from the a Oh, man.
0: So basically, uh, you just got to dispute the credit card charge, and you're all set. I guess. Um, no, but,
2: no, no. But, like, there was no charge. They couldn't charge it. Now oh, he's saying that,
0: that if you want to
1: get out of it, you just uh, do make that happen. You yeah, yeah make that you that happen, I guess.
2: but uh, suffice to say, no, she, I, I cheated she, the A list. By the way, I had to, I had to fight to get back on the A list. Uh, oh I man. want to be on that boat. They she, come
1: to your house and they take away all your popcorn oh
2: man <laughs> suffice to say she's
0: a fairly intelligent person and she was unable to like easily cancel her alias subscription so like if you have difficulty actually do let us know um i'd be interested in hearing about it at slash from but so far it sounds like the cancellation process is not that easy but i don't I'm i haven't tried it myself on
1: this one i i want to make sure i get grandfathered in at the rate i'm at as long <laughs> as possible man
0: Wait. all right so jeff what's uh what what's the uh, what why did you see a football game in a theater AMC and and I think this is just
1: an A list offer, exclusive A list offer. Uh, so I, I'm not sure we can even talk about it to uh, to muggles. But um, <laughs> the the they are in select AMC theaters. They are presenting NFL games on the big screen in a movie theater. And uh, while I was still out, I was still, I was able to see a little bit better. Um, I decided I'm going to spend. My Sunday, I got I got approval from the wife and kids to go spend my Sunday at an AMC. I don't know. I've been meaning to tell you guys. I live across the street from a movie theater. Oh, nice! That's great. Yeah, pretty convenient. But in fact, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm a big Forty Nine er fan. I grew up in the Bay Area. Grew up in the in the eighties and nineties when the Forty Nine ers were amazing. I grew up loving that team. And um, then I moved to Los Angeles, and now now and for a while. You would sometimes see 49er games on the on television, not having to buy, you know, Direct TV NFL Sunday ticket, which I'm too cheap to do. And the, uh, the for a while they would show some 49er games, but then the this perfect storm of the 49ers being pretty terrible for several years and LA getting not one but two NFL teams means that there are no actual network uh, NFL or uh, 49er games unless they're on Monday night or Thursday night. So the fact that they were showing the NFL, the, uh, the 49ers and Steelers game, uh, week before last at an AMC theater, I thought, man, that sounds really cool. And the best part about it is it's free. I think this is because they're not officially able to charge tickets to watch a rebroadcast of, of an NFL game. Mm. Uh, without the express written consent of the NFL. Um, but what they do to get around that is that you have to, in order to get a an assigned seat, you have to pre-buy $10 worth of concessions. I'm going to be there for three, four hours. <laughs> I'm going to be spending $10 at the concession stand anyway. Yeah. So also, that's
2: a, one soda, right? Yes, so, right, yeah. exactly.
1: So um, I went down by myself. I invited a, a buddy who wasn't able to come so I went by myself and I had a blast, man. It was great. I don't know how often you guys have uh, like gone to a sports bar or like a Buffalo wild wings or any of that to, to watch NFL games. But generally speaking for my money, Uh a pretty terrible experience. It's not
2: great. Right. Like even if if they have big screens, it's still, you can't really take everything in. It's not super comfortable. So yeah.
1: yeah, you're, you're, there's multiple games being being displayed. You're hoping that the audio for the game you want is the audio that they're playing, but most of the time it's not. Maybe you can get them to turn a specific TV in a corner to, to the game you want to play, but still there's lots of other people watching lots of other games. I don't really care about drinking in the afternoon, watching a game. I'm not I'm not the guy that needs to do that anyway. But sitting in a movie theater while we're all... Oh, the other thing about a sports bar is that like, Sometimes the TV is behind you. Sometimes you're sitting Uh awkwardly on your chair, but in a movie theater, everybody's facing the right way. The screen is massive. It was awesome because we were all there for the game. There were a few Steelers fans in the audience, but it was a lot of 49er fans. So we were cheering. They kept the lights up in the movie, in the theater so that, you know, we could see each other. It was more like watching a big TV screen, but we're all facing the correct direction, Uh, when, you know, at halftime and during commercial breaks, people would get up and go, there's free refills at AMC theaters for popcorn and soda. So like, I, it was great, man. I I made friends. We were like cheering when things were happening. The Niners won that game. It was a very sloppy game, but it was a really entertaining game. And I, I'm like, anytime I can come back here, I'm going to try to do it because I'm spending way more than $10 at a sports bar. Uh, I ended up spending, I don't know, less than 20 and I had like popcorn all day long, a slurpee all day long. And I got, you know, like mozzarella sticks and other fun stuff that they have at the concession stand. It was great. It was really cool. And I'm hoping more theaters do this. Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, they tie up a couple of screens. They had, this wasn't the only game they were showing. There was like three or four different screens that they devoted to this with different games. And it was literally just a direct TV projected onto the screen. So there right. were still commercials and stuff, but it was awesome. And I really want to do it more. I, I would love to go back and, um, have that experience. I think it's superior to going to a sports bar.
2: Yeah, right. I'm surprised it's taken so long for theaters to start doing this. By the way, like if this if this was a pretty recent development for AMC. Hopefully, more people take it over because it means like they could actually bring in other, smaller movies eventually too. Like this could pay for them to bring in movies that don't you know put as many butts into seats.
1: Well, I think it also. I wonder if they could also just like show a Netflix movie or something, you know, and do it in the same way where you're not actually paying for the seat, you're paying to get some concessions or you're doing right for them. It's it seems like. You know, movie theaters make their money on concessions anyway. So that's all they want is just you to get in and and
2: buy some food. Yeah. So big you know, TV the, show premieres or something. Yeah. yeah. Could be cool. Could be cool.
0: Well, that is Jeff's experience watching NFL in a theater. Uh, Jeff, anything else you've been watching?
1: Yeah. I also uh, watched the Between Two Ferns movie that just premiered on Netflix, uh, Zach Galifianakis' old web show about uh, him sort of awkwardly and offensively interviewing famous people. I can't remember the year that started, but it, it seems like forever. It was about again. a decade but, ago. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And that was like the funnier die, like staple show for a while. Yeah. It right? was
1: like put funnier die on the map in a lot of ways. Um, and so it seems like an odd time to make a movie about it.
2: For the perfect time, Jeff, come on. the perfect time, I love.
1: I, I I loved the old Between Two Ferns. I think that very dry, sardonic humor it, it it really works for me most of the time when it's done well. And Galifianakis is so good at it. The questions. I mean, it's mostly just c- celebrities sitting there, stone faced, awkwardly not answering, and him asking ridiculous questions. And it's a funny idea. Like you're tuned in because you want to see this, the the famous person, but they say almost nothing and it's him just being an idiot. And I don't know. I, I always found it very, very funny. And the faux
2: uh, awkwardness of it, I think is, is really fun to watch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Them pretending to hate him and just be super uncomfortable with all his questions, even though, you know, it's all put on It's very fun. So the movie, uh, like a lot of movies before it, it t- starts with air and then sort of expands the universe and creates this story about the people who make that show, not just Galifianakis, but his surrounding cast of uh, these public access employees and their need to sort of their, their dreams of making the show into something bigger. Um, and Will Ferrell is in it playing, you know, Will Ferrell from Funny or Die, but a heightened and ridiculous version of him. And then it's just got wall to wall famous people that are in the movie for, you know, less than a minute just being the next guest being asked a ridiculous question and he kind of goes across the country you know doing the show bringing his ferns with him and you know it's i think less than 90 minutes total it's it's very slight and very easy to watch and i laughed many many times watching it it's a very specific kind of humor but one that works for me so i i was glad to see this thing have a resurgence I, there was a big resurgence a few years ago cuz obama was on yeah yeah. did the, the you know it's kind of a big deal um but now it's you know it's uh, it's even bigger
0: so to i'm gonna i'm gonna say something about this movie which is that uh-huh. um I, I watched it and i didn't like it that much and what? here's the thing i've been watching between two ferns like the the web segments um this week kind of just to like remind myself and like i still find those hilarious mm-hmm. and i think what between two friends the movie does well first of all like the fact that it is kind of this movie, this uh, this meta movie, right, being made. It, yeah. it, it, what what is great about Between Two Ferns? There's two things about the web series that I think the movie fails to capture. One of them is that there's this kind of illusion that this could actually be Zach Galifianakis being an asshole to these people, like that. That, that the reality of the web series it might actually be real. You know, like it, it's it's in question whether or not. Uh,
2: <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how much the actors are in on it. Right. And, and even if they are in on it, like, he, he has to toe a line y- between y- being offensive and then, like, really pissing them off. Yeah, completely. he's, like, saying yeah.
0: horribly offensive things to them, right? And so, like, and you you want to believe when you're watching the web series that, like, hey, he might actually be saying those things. They might actually right. be pissed. And uh, the fact that the movie, you know, it's that it's a movie, right? Like, that that shatters that illusion. But... Uh, but the bigger issue for me is that the great thing about the web series is how painfully awkward and uncomfortable it was. And they would just ling- let these silences linger yeah. for many seconds. And yeah. the movie basically removes a lot of that. It, it, it makes those interviews more polished and uh there's like you know i remember sitting for many many seconds of like awkward interview silences for between two friends and because it's a movie i feel like they didn't think that they could do like these extremely painfully awkward silences for extended periods and so i think that those two things about the web series are lost and to me they are you know key elements that that don't make this like don't survive the translation for
2: me Mm -hmm. i I I will say it's uh it's worth watching this thing just for the outtakes at the end because i think when when the when the wall breaks when the fourth wall breaks completely and you see the celebrities laugh and you see galvanakis like struggling to hold it together um (laughs) i think that's fun it's like it's like on uh, snl this week where uh the, the one of the dressers like came on camera but I kind of agree with you, Dave. I do feel like it's not as it doesn't capture the magic of the show. They tried to wane's world it up a little and it's it's nowhere near as good as that.
1: Yeah, I think those are fair points that you made, Dave. I, I still had enough fun with it that I could recommend it. I still think it's I laughed enough times. I, I guess I had low expectations. And yeah, yeah, those those elements are nerfed a bit, but not to the point where the the, sh- the bit is unfunny or mm. not worthwhile, in my opinion.
0: All right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, those are a couple of conflicting opinions about "Between Two Friends, the movie. It's on Netflix right now, and uh, I will check out the outtakes. I didn't. Uh, I didn't make it for the hard. To read oh, dude, it's the it, best part. It's the yeah, best. Yeah, part, it by the best far. part Yeah, it is the best part. Yeah, do it. I could right. watch
1: two hours of that. It's. It's also of note that it's directed, written, and directed, or co-written and directed by Scott Ackerman.
0: Yeah. 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 Very talented guy. Um. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Before we get to our review of Ad Astra, though, uh, I want to thank some of the people who have donated to the podcast in the last few weeks. We've got a, uh, f- several donor messages uh, that I, we got to read out. First of all, Shen Onshu donated. And then uh, a guy named Michael donated. He writes, hi, David, thanks for the continual work, which, by the way, is how I like to describe my work, continual. Continual. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, in, thanks well, the, for the incessant thank, content thank, the incessant the relentless content. bad thing. thanks yeah. for the non-stop the oppressively continuous work <laughs> um, this is my annual donation for a belated birthday uh, for Sarah Pants I beat her by oh. one point in the summer movie wager and just made her watch Waterworld Technically, it's under three hours. We're going to check out Slackers, too, before listening to your podcast in case that dissuades us. Anyway, thank you all very much. If you could give a birthday shout-out to Sarah Pants, that would be great. The happy, best ha- last name ever? Ha- happy birthday, Sarah Pants. Pants. Also, Jeff, um, in the history of Favors We Have Ever Done You, yeah. watching Slackers uh, and doing that episode in your absence is pretty yeah. high up on that list.
1: You, yeah, uh, I was I was telling yeah. somebody that um, if having catastrophic eye problems that result in a month-long eye surgery recovery has a silver lining, <laughs> that's it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much of a joke – I, I don't know how much, like, joking you are, but, like, really, <laughs> legitimately, yeah, we did basically take a, a cinematic bullet for you. I appreciate uh, it, guys. So. I do.
1: I appreciate it lucier is uh is making a play to be the next great villain of the uh of the wager you well, know what I'm saying
0: <laughs> yeah he must be vanquished by me next year <laughs> um i mean
1: right. i don't I don't know if we need a villain defeating a villain That's all i'm saying
0: mm, mm. Daniel Hammond writes in and donates as well. Uh, For years, I've wished there was a show like One Up Yours or Weekend Confirmed focused on movies. Little did I know such a show had, in fact, existed for years, but it was not until 2015 that I first discovered the Slash Film cast. Since then, it has been among my favorite podcasts. I can't tell you how much I look forward to the show. One of my favorite memories has been listening to your reviews after my wife and I have seen the movie together, though she is frequently perplexed, often exclaiming, do do these people like anything? And frequently questions (laughs) your taste more generally. I sincerely enjoy sharing this experience with her. Despite her occasional ambivalence towards the podcast, I thought I should donate on her behalf in honor of our first wedding anniversary this weekend in hopes that she might hear this and know how much I enjoy sharing this with her and all that she means to me. Thanks again for all you do, and I hope that Jeff heals up best. Okay, a couple
1: of things. <laughs> I don't want to belittle the uh, nice words about me healing or the lovely sentiment about your wedding anniversary, both of which are very sweet. Yeah. But I was literally on the show, Weekend Confirmed, <laughs> while I was on this show, <laughs> and I often described being on this show as being, like being on that show, but about movies.
0: <laughs> uh, it, it is interesting also that, like, this podcast, The Slash Homecast, was largely inspired by One Up Yours, the yep, uh, yeah the Garnett Lee uh, led podcast uh, about video games. And it was my desire to make a movie version of one up yours. Um, So a lot of uh, history coming, coming to bear in this, uh, in this donation message.
1: Literally one of the guys on that show, (laughs) we get confirmed is also on this show (laughs) and would mention that show, this show on that show all the time. Mm. I mean, literally every time.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Daniel doesn't seem to be very good at listening to both a Jeff Canada saying where else he's at on Weekend Confirmed or his wife's preference to not listen to the Slash film guest.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess, you know what? I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it for the second one. I'll take the first one.
0: <laughs> All right. So this message comes in. Over the last six years, I've slowly inceptioned my fiance with my love of movies and geek culture. Either by casually starting an audiobook or on a long drive accidentally, quote-unquote, picking the wrong movie TV show from our queue. She has come to love the same books, TV shows, and movies that I do. Listening to the Slash Home podcast has become a ritual for us after seeing a movie. I now have the podcast ready to play when she asks if there's an episode from the David Chen guy and the other two.
2: (laughs) How dare you? Brutal.
0: (laughs) Brutal. We are getting married on September 27th and plan on countless...
1: (laughs) We're canceling
0: it. <laughs> we are getting married on September 27th and plan on countless years of movies, books, and moments listening to Slash Home Together. Thank you, Josh. And is it Jacqueline? J-A-C-L-Y-N? Jacqueline? I can't pronounce this. Name. No, I'm just going to call, call it, I'm
1: going to call it, I'm going to call it Josh and one other one.
0: <laughs> other one. Yeah. From Houston, Texas. Well, uh, congratulations on your wedding, Josh and Jacqueline or Josh and one other person. um, and by the way, my co-hosts are Jeff Kanata and David Your Hardware. I just got to put that out there.
2: I believe he pronounced it Line. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, these, that's uh, the way you pronounce the
1: These two, these two back-to-back emails are a little disturbing <laughs> as to how people come to enjoy us. We we're not. We have to. They have to be hoodwinked into enjoying our show.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's uh, a, that's okay. Nice. Hey, Slash Film Brothers, my friend uh, Ryan Rudnicki is turning 32 this week. We're both devoted listeners to the show, and if you could give him a quick shout-out, it would mean a lot to both of us. Please no limericks. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Carmen Pataccio. So that's from Carmen Uh, Pataccio. Here's the thing about this message from Carmen Pataccio. I'm pretty sure it got to us three weeks ago. So it is... (laughs) (laughs) So Ryan uh, Rudnicki, happy, extremely belated birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about it's that. Still 32. It's right. the, the yeah. problem is we had, we had to bank a bunch of episodes you know because like I was going on vacation, Jeff was out right We had to bank a bunch of episodes, so like hence um us not getting to Ryan Ruddicky's birthday until today, so
1: well, you know what he's about to hit his mid thirties, so uh if he's not used to disappointment by now, mm. then may as well get used to it you know like what I'm up.
0: Saying? yeah all right, yeah. well, uh, on that bright note, if you'd like to donate to the slash homecast. <laughs> You can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page, and contribute on a monthly basis as well. Um, and actually, uh, yeah, new subscriber, Amelia Hill, is donating at the rate of a couple dollars per month. Um, but yeah, uh, we... Thank you, Amelia. Yeah, thanks, Amelia. I appreciate it. We never want you to donate if it in any way causes you hardship. But if you uh, have a few extra bucks to throw away, we'd so appreciate it. And if you want to support us without doing, without giving any money, just go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating or a review for us. It would really help us out. All that said, let's get to our review of Ad Astra.
2: It's crazy out there. There's fires everywhere and plane crashes. They're calling it the surge.
0: Major, we have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there.
1: I worry about you.
0: I love you. Please begin your psychological evaluation. As best you can, please describe your current mental and emotional state. I'm feeling good. Ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. That was from the trailer for Ad Astra. The newest film by director James Gray. I'm gonna read the plot summary from IMDB. Astronaut Roy McBride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed exposition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, really looking forward to diving into this movie
2: with you guys. Devindra, let's start with you. What did you think of Ad Astra? Sure. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't I didn't fully think of this. But I'm going to do it. Uh, This week I saw a movie about astronauts going into space to stop a potential disaster on Earth. Uh, They trek into the unknown only to find something terrifying, uh, I don't know, revealed by the horrors of space. Uh, But enough about sunshine. Oh. I thought you were going to
0: go with, uh, you know, Liv Tyler waits behind as they go into space, but enough about (laughs) Armageddon.
1: I, I thought could you were do, gonna say Donald Sutherland suits up and goes into space, but enough about space cowboys.
2: Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> so this this could apply to a lot of the movies. I will say nothing about Armageddon uh, confronts the horrors of space, and uh, you know the uh, the. Inf- I, I beg the to differ. There is a scene when Steve
0: Buscemi goes nuts. Uh, and suffers from space madness, but anyway. Yes,
2: yes, yes, sure, okay. Checkmate. Uh, anyway, I, Checkmate. I, I feel like this movie uh, very much reminds me of Sunshine, and certainly the things I liked most about it. I love James Gray and the way he makes these films. Um, his last movie, uh, Lost La City of Z, was like a meandering adventure story, which I really loved for like how it delved into certain ideas of like obsession. And the things that drive us towards these maddening quests, and I feel like this movie is very similar. It also feels a lot like 2001 and a lot of other, you know, grand space films. Uh, that it can also be surprisingly pulpy at times. Uh, there, there, there's a shootout on the moon, a shootout chase on the moon in this movie, and it looks like it looks unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's like something out of Mad Max Fury Road on the moon. Uh, I love this movie. I think this movie does so many things very well. Um, I will say the idea of Brad Pitt playing um, a guy not in touch with his emotions, going off into space to uh, you know reconnect with his distant father. Uh, that, that sounds like a lot of movies. I think he really makes it work. Uh, I think Tommy Lee Jones uh, works well in this movie. I, I think there's just a lot going on here. This movie presents... A surprisingly realistic and cynical view of how humanity would treat uh, space travel like if we could privatize it and get like a real moon base going I, there's just so much to read into in this film uh, I'd say my only problem is like maybe the the last act kind of drags on a little but I love so much of it that that didn't really bug me Alright, so Davindra
0: a big fan of Ad Astra Jeff Kanata, your thoughts? Well Dave...
1: <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about Ad Astra are best summed up in the form of a limerick.
0: So curious what this limerick is going to be like.
1: <clears throat> a man surviving in space. It doesn't hurt that he has Brad Pitt's face. <laughs> but Clooney and Damon have both done the same, and this definitely comes in third place.
2: Mm. Wow. Samen.
0: Samen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're just making up
0: words now, Same yeah. and I was
1: same and I just oh. said sort of same and they, oh. they've done the same and. I
0: thought you were saying same in, and you were gonna. Same, you and. Know, yeah. Yeah. same anyway. and same <laughs> end, you know. <laughs> okay, uh, so you think this movie is not as good as Gravity or The Martian? It sounds like correct. Yeah,
1: but that doesn't mean I didn't have find joy in it. I, I love a good sci-fi film. Um, uh, it's interesting, Davindra, you bringing up Sunshine. I didn't make that connection. The connection that I made was this movie's basically Heart of Darkness or yeah. you know, Apocalypse yes. Now.
2: Any it, any of those long journeys, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I mean, almost beat for beat, it feels like Heart of Darkness. It's just like somebody went, hey, we can make Heart of Darkness in space. And I thought the journey is so interesting. This movie mm-hmm. does world building. In a very very cool way, but unfortunately, the actual place that we go plot wise isn't as interesting as the world building. You mean you you mentioned the uh, moon shootout? Like, the idea of moon pirates? Moon pirates! I want, I want a movie all about that. And it's, like, just a short little sequence of, of kind of, like, you know, a uh, sure. tapestry of, of, of world building in this movie. It's, it's barely even mentioned. And there's, like, three or four things like that. There's a derelict spacecraft where something really cool happens in it where it's, like, oh, it's just a little side story on our way to the main story. I'm like, no, but the side uh, story. I, 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 I,
2: you're dramatically discounting what those things mean and certainly their placement in the movie, but we can get into some of those in spoilers. Like, I think there there are certainly these side stories, but that particular uh, thing that happens says a lot about humanity and what, you know, the cost of us going into space. Moon pirates, moon pirates. Yeah. (laughs) Certainly, as soon as, you know, the finger of capitalism touches on the moon and other, you know, other nations are going up there, people are just going up there, uh, as soon as there's, like, resources to claim, you bet your ass we're going to have moon pirates... And, uh, yeah, we have not seen that in any movie before. I kind of, I appreciated that.
1: Yeah. Oh man. And that you're right. That sequence, that action sequence, such as it is, is so cool and different and unique. Um, and, and when this movie hits those moments and there are several of them, The uh, derelict spacecraft is another one. There are a few others. There's one right at the beginning of the movie that are, they're just incredible and well executed and just a vision of something, an idea of something that I've never seen before, which is increasingly difficult to do in a genre mm-hmm. film, in a sci-fi film. And this movie has several of them and the, the tiny flourishes, the tiny um, ideas about what the day after tomorrow is going to be like. I mean, this is not a far future movie. This is just a, you know, a few years in the, in the future in the sense. And the idea of where, technology or where these things can can land it felt very plausible in a lot of sense and uh fun it was fun to see like oh yeah that really makes that i could see that happening and just how things unsaid in the movie un, um, Mm. you know they don't don't point them out they're just sort of layers this tapestry of this world this world building that the movie does it's very well done and i enjoyed that very very much but there's an
2: image when i get to the moon by the way of just like an applebee's on the moon yes and the story you spin to yourself is like oh of course there's an applebee's on the moon there's an applebee's everywhere everywhere humanity touches we bring a damn applebee's right and that says so much it's so
1: simple and there's so much like that where it's just this little thing in the corner of a frame where you're like oh that it really grounds the whole movie in this sense of realism and then you're right, it does get very pulpy and things are like, hey, you were creating this very realistic take on things and then you're like, eh, physics, who cares, you know? So there's <laughs> there, there's some of both of that and I'm down for that. I, I don't hold that against the movie so much because I was having, I was interested enough and I, and I allow it some pulpiness here and there. What I didn't come away completely satisfied with is the central tale of our main character Endings are hard. This movie, I don't think, you know, stri- uh, um, hits mm-hmm. the landing. It it it, it just felt uh, like it petered out toward the end, and it didn't add up to enough to make me think it was a home run. But I definitely enjoyed the movie. I saw it in IMAX. I thought it was it was beautifully shot. Brad Pitt is really interesting. He I mean the, he does very very little, and that's hard to do as an actor. And it. It's it's very watchable, very interesting. There are side characters that are interesting. I just wish the movie stuck the landing a little bit better and made it all add up to more uh, than sort of these pat sort of relationship answers.
0: All right. So it sounds like you liked it, but you were still mixed on it, yeah?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Devendra... <laughs>
2: I respect that you really enjoyed this movie along with I, most- uh, By the way, as I was watching this movie, <laughs> I, I knew exactly, like, uh, this is going to be way too much for Dave. Dave. Dave is off board immediately, but go up. I think, like, my uh,
0: my reaction to this movie can be best summed up in one scene of the film where uh, very early on, uh, Brad Pitt is about to go to uh, space. He's going to fly commercial to the moon. And there is a, he he needs to like go through this whole process to fly commercial. And he's watching kind of this Virgin Atlantic tutorial video. Like everyone needs to watch this video before they go to the moon. And this tutorial is like walking him through everything. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so interesting. I want to see what a tutorial video is like uh, in in the near future, right? Like what would a tutorial video say if you're going to go to the moon? What would the... uh, uh, the emergency procedures, be you know all this stuff, right? And literally, uh, th- uh, two seconds after the tutorial video begins, it is completely drowned out by this extremely ponderous voiceover that Brad Pitt has for the entire movie. This voiceover is at- god awful. I mean, this is like Blade Runner theatrical cut bad. It is <laughs> something like I'm I'm shocked that. It, I or I would be shocked if this was like the original vision for the film, because it feels like, hey, we this need does to make not some feel
2: like the Blade Runner cut man.
0: Like yeah. it, it feels like we need to make things more obvious for the audience. Is what because the voiceover adds, in my opinion, very very little to the film, uh, and it's it's just all about hitting you over the head with the most obvious statements about what is what characters are thinking, what's actually going on. Um, and that's really like a summary of the entire film. It's it's very uh, obvious. Like like the uh, the symbolism is extremely uh, you know hitting you over the head with it. There is no such thing as subtext in this movie. Characters, such as. huh? Such as. Uh, well, I, I can get to it in spoilers, but like okay. But suffice to say, uh, I I think that the the world building elements, like you you guys said, are amazing. The moon sequence is amazing. Opening sequence is amazing. All the set pieces are awesome. And it's showing me stuff I have never seen before. And the problem is I wish the movie, the rest of the movie, was as good. Uh, And the rest of the movie is, in fact, extremely ponderous, extremely kind of just really obvious in its symbolism. Um, But I don't know. Like... Uh, overall, I really dislike this movie and found it to be very difficult to sit through. Um, but there are some really great aspects to it. So I, I did not like it, um, would not recommend it to anyone. But uh, there, there is enough good stuff there that I'm like, mm, I wish it was a better film overall. So anyway, why don't we, uh, why don't we get to uh, spoilers for Ad Astra starting right now.
2: Now you're looking for the secret. to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course...
0: You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret You want to be fooled. So I think probably the moment when I checked out of this movie was when Brad Pitt's character kills three people without any seeming consequences, legal or emotional. And I, I, I understood why they did like from a plot perspective. I understand they need him to get to the space station by himself. But then for him to like be responsible for the deaths of three people, and then uh, it really makes him. It, it takes him to the other side of being a sympathetic character for me.
1: What did you guys think? We're talking scene? about the moment where he sneaks onto the uh, when he's on Mars and he sneaks onto the yep. the. Uh, rocket and then they attack him and he yeah which is depicted it
0: in it. A, like a ridiculously like implausible fashion to begin with but then he kills them and then like doesn't they, seem they to are trying
2: any. to kill him are uh, they i yeah, I, yeah. They, they, I think you can definitely read that scene as so because he's he's announcing he's like hey i'm here i know i'm a stowaway. not like not trying to hurt you and then they come at him with guns well those were uh, like i don't
0: think those were like Fire, like they they were going to subdue him, is my understanding.
2: No, they
1: literally shoot at him.
0: Yeah. Huh. All right. they shoot
1: at him and it it hits the inside of the
0: ship. Uh, That's how that sequence goes. All right. Well, fair enough. um, <laughs> I guess he was just self-defending but anyway yeah. Um,
2: yeah. I, I guess it didn't bother you guys yeah, Dave was so checked out he he missed the guns because it was sort of like the walkie-talkies in E.T. they just became walkie-talkies <laughs> well I saw that they had these like black weapons yeah, that yeah, like yeah. W- like could electrocute people that yes. I understood I, I think um, they seemed like uh, Star Trek weapons where like there was maybe a stun and multiple like, uses yeah. Um, yeah. but there is this you know guys you ever watch that movie Titan A.E. that like
0: animated film Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, th- like there's a sequence of that movie where I think they like journey through the depths of space and survive outside, like in the depths of space by holding their breath. Uh, that was almost as realistic as what happened at the end of this movie when Brad Pitt takes a metal panel and pr- just propels himself through space, uh, like blocking things left and right in order to get back to his ship. Uh, that I, I mean, Jeff, you were talking about how some sequences are pretty unrealistic. I assume you're referring yeah. to that one.
1: Yes, very much so. Pretty
0: pretty rough. But, but Devinger, in terms of making the subtext text, like, I think the one thing that, like, the scene that really bothered me was when uh, Brad Pitt arrives at the spaceship. Tommy Lee Jones is there, and he's like, hey, Dad, I'm here to bring you home. And he's like, oh, like, I don't need to go home. Um, by the way, right. I, you know, I, like, nothing, uh, like, uh, you and your mom and your entire family was completely unimportant to me. He's just basically, like, saying it out loud. And it's just like, dude, this is like this dialogue is terrible. Like you, you don't, nobody talks like this. Nobody says their feelings in just like a plain clunky way like this. Uh, And that, in many ways, represented the movie, the voice, the ponderous voiceover. Like, yeah. So I do, I do agree with you that
1: that final when they reunite there, everything from that point on, I was like, I was very disappointed by, and. It felt like, you know, it it I felt like I went through this heart of darkness. We finally get to Marlon Brando and the thing and then everything that Marlon Brando says makes no sense. You know, everything that Tommy Lee Jones says in this case, it doesn't make any sense. It it, it it's like so he says I don't want you, I don't need you and then suits up with him and yeah. goes and then goes, uh, I'd rather just die out here floating in space. Well, why then why did you suit up in the first place? Why not just stay on the ship? Because
2: his his son would be the one to stop the thing. Like he wants to keep this going,
0: yeah. Right, I, I but his guess. son did stop the thing, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It also, also,
0: Tommy Lee Jones says, "You have to let me go. You right, have right. to let me go, son." You know, and it's like, okay, I, I see it. Do you see Grove? because he's also letting him go metaphorically as well? Anyway, the
1: the the coolest part of that whole idea is there's nobody else in the in the, in the universe, right? Like you, you got mm-hmm. proof. I mean that's set aside for a moment that you can't prove the absence of something. <laughs> you can't ever prove the absence of something, but, uh, you know, the idea being this movie is trying to tell us that, you know, definitively, because we got to this point in the, in, in, we got to Neptune, we can say there's no other intelligent life in the universe. That's a pretty profound thing. Yeah. And and the movie just kind of doesn't really make it, It's more concerned with this weird relationship between father and son, which doesn't pay off in any, satisfying way. It it it's muddled and it it doesn't have a clear statement. It's it I understand the movie is trying to be a giant metaphor for you know a, a parent going out to get milk and never coming home, you know? But it, it just it feels so clunky and unsatisfying because that relationship we didn't we aren't invested in it anyway. And then once we finally see them together, it it plays out in a in a very strange mm-hmm. way that doesn't resonate it, it, where it could have been this really cool sci sci-fi idea that could have had more weight to it. I think I just felt like it was all kind of jumbled and mishandled at the end.
2: I, I do feel like, yeah. So I see what you guys are saying. I think the father son relationship is very, it's it certainly blunt, you know, there's not much subtlety there, but if we, you peel past that layer in terms of like, what is happening in this movie? um, I, I don't think the movie forgets the fact that, um, basically Tommy Lee Jones went out in search of intelligent life and didn't find it. To me, that's what drove him insane. Like that, that is it. Like that is him devoting his life to this mission and, you know, killing his crew and potentially putting the earth on like, um, you know, the potentially destroying the earth just to, you know, uh, succeed in this goal, even though he's failed and he's trying to come to terms with that failure. Um, that, that to me, that's how I'm reading that part. And, I will say a lot of this movie, both his quest and Brad Pitt's quest almost seems like they're, you know, they're they're searching for not just aliens, not just, you know, other life, but searching for like some proof of why they're here Uh, could be aliens could be God. It could be some sort of like, you know, something more. They're searching for something more in this universe. That fact drove Tommy Lee Jones insane uh, because he couldn't find it. It's not there. So to me, it feels like humanity coming to terms with an uncaring, unloving God in a way or just accepting that fact. And that's mirrored in the sort of like relationship between these two where Brad Pitt comes to find his father. and He's like, oh, well, he don't care. He don't care that you're here. You know, you spent 30 years of your life uh, trying to get to him. Uh, It's certainly blunt, but I think there's something resonant there in terms of like that relationship and the deeper narrative in terms of like what humans are doing. You know, what we're seeking and kind of like the, the lengths we go to achieve that. I think you, you that's really well
0: put, Devendra. And actually, I, I like a lot of the ideas of the movie. You know, like uh, the idea that, uh, uh, first of all, as you referred to, uh, religion is actually a part of the movie. I mean, um, you see at one point, the, the some of the characters pray at multiple points, the characters like pray to God. Um, and I think. Many people have noted that, given that this theoretically takes place during a time when we are much more technologically advanced, but people still kind of uh, holding on to their religious beliefs and uh, this idea that we are not alone. And that's the ultimate revelation, right? Is that, hey, what if we were alone? Like, what if we were all we had? That, a, that's a terrifying thought to confront. But B, how differently would we face tomorrow mm-hmm. knowing that that's the case? And I like that the movie tries to raise that issue, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't like the execution, but I like the concept of it. And um, it it definitely, like, parts of this movie definitely got me thinking about that. But I just wish that – and the thing that's so weird about it is some of the movie is so skillfully executed, right? Like, the the opening sequence of the – falling the huge the falling from the antenna from the space no, not elevator. only is that like an amazing concept that i've never thought of like we've never seen anything like that before but also like the actual execution like it looked good it looked like uh realistic like it looked like photorealistic like this guy falling from this tower and then like I, I i it was very smooth the transition from like cg or whatever to actually a person skydiving the movie mm-hmm. evidently cost around 80 million dollars to make And I think you see a lot of it on the screen. Like I don't, uh, I I didn't question that that amount. Um, So-
1: I loved how so much of of what is really action set pieces are done in such a matter of fact way that the action is very uh, mundane. You know, there are fights in this this movie, all of the fights in this movie, whether it's (laughs) against a primate or against other humans, they're all very matter of fact. They're all very, they're not, pretty they're not showy they feel like people actually trying to survive and and you know end it as quick as possible and not you know it's not a cool action moment it's a desperate action moment and i loved that about it it felt so grounded and real so yeah you're right there's a lot of this movie that is very very well done
2: yeah Uh, i love the way the moon chase is executed by the way because it does adhere to the uh, let's try to avoid sounds in space there's no sound in space that entire fight is Just like low, like uh, low frequency hits, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is pretty badass.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's breathtaking. That moon chase sequence is breathtaking. Uh, I I I want want a whole movie
1: of moon pirates. Give me the moon pirates pirates (laughs) movie.
0: This movie ultimately kind of, in some ways, felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be. I mean, because it's like you don't need to put the moon chase in there, right? Like you could. He arrives at the moon, and then it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, we need to ferry you to this other thing, Uh, and it's like. From a script perspective, you could have just made it so that hey, we need to get you like it's it's by the way, it's based on real realism that um, you would actually to get to Mars, you would need to go to the moon first, although James Gray in an interview has said like in real life they actually concluded that you'd need to get to someplace in the moon's orbit to get yeah. to like that's what yeah. they, just they like revised. It, off. Yeah. Right? but like from a script perspective, you could have just said, hey, we got to get you to the moon and then we got to get you to Mars. No need to have the moon chase at all, right? But they put that in there. It is thrilling, but it like is just feels completely out of whack with the tone, the rest of the tone of the movie. I don't but, know. Uh, well, I, I, what, it, what I'm
2: saying it, is it it adds to the texture of the movie, like yes. like I had explained before, right? Like this is part of the world building. We have we have we have Applebee's. I'm sure there's a Taco Bell up there. There's like it looks like a shitty strip mall. This <laughs> wonder of the world, uh, you know, is is it looks terrible. It looks like walking down the street in most major cities in America. Um, it's, it's not great. I kind of love the way they construct this world, uh, that his, uh, his, uh, rocket, his Virgin galactic rocket to get to the moon. It is, it's not 2001. It's not a fancy like first class cabin where everything's super chill. It is still human beings being strapped, uh, you know, to a freaking to a giant bomb, uh, in a tight cockpit, like really no different than kind of how things are today. Just maybe streamlined a little for them. Uh, it's those bits. So I, I think the moon chase fits. And I think also, all the action bits too. Also, I, I think it speaks to
1: who Brad Pitt's character is supposed to be, right? Yes. It's, he's yeah. this reluctant badass. He's the guy who's like, I'm not going to do that, except I have to do that. And I'm going to do yeah. it better than everybody. But I didn't even really want to. I just wanted to kind of go about my day. Just
2: trying to get to Mars, guys. Yeah. yeah. I
1: just, it just, you know. Yeah. But it, and it's so I think it's, it, you know, another example of that is when. He has to take over for the guy and land the the uh, yeah, rocket.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: it's he's just like this, he's better at everything than everybody, but he doesn't want to have to do it. You know,
2: he's uh, also better at it because he he has no emotions, right? He is right. he is prototypical. He is Clint Eastwood i don't know you know 50 years in a movie 50 years ago in a movie or something right like this is this is the the sort of leading man we've long championed in our movies like he he will do whatever it takes he doesn't cry um and and you know and you know
0: he's super serious because his heart rate never goes above 80
2: i think that's a
1: really cool little Uh, that's a cool idea of like a guy that falls plummets to the earth and he's like You fine. Your heart rate didn't go up. How is that even possible, dude?
2: He's fine. It's, I, but you, you see it also, as you
0: see it as a nice little character touch. I see it as like in a ridiculously obvious way to make the point that the rest of the movie is making. So yeah, I,
2: I love I love Dave. Um, yeah, these touches. I think you can look at them in an interesting way. Uh, certainly there's a way to be cynical about all this stuff and <laughs> not enjoy these little bits. But I will say this movie is a deconstruction of this this male archetype. It is the fact like oh man in any other movie you'd be like oh he he's so awesome he could do all this stuff and the internal monologue exists to at least show us that he is certainly in a blunt way but he is a broken man he is a man who can't he can't interact with people uh, probably because of this weird relationship with his father that he you know he never could quite fix um this movie is all about the deconstruction of the hollywood archetype uh, hollywood hero and how broken they are as people. It's sort of like how Succession breaks down rich people. This movie sort of breaks down the hero, except like I don't think it fully succeeds. And certainly, there, they're like I, the last act certainly could have been tightened up in terms of what he does with Tommy Lee Jones and maybe how Brad Pitt's character reacts to everything. But the ultimate message of this movie is what you were talking about, Dave. Like the idea that the terrifying idea that there may be nothing else out there. We are all what we 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 down here are all what we you know have. We're all we've got. We've got to try to figure out how to live together. That is the end of this movie. And to me that's at least a little hopeful thing. Uh, that's my main takeaway.
0: Hey, Devendra, you had mentioned earlier that like uh, the the uh, space monkey eating that guy's face. Like what, what you you had a take on like what that was all about?
2: That is certainly um among the first things we did for space travel was shoot animals into space and see if they came back down alive, but what do you? What do monkeys represent? Monkeys are, you know, the to me you could read that as like the most primal human, like that is a human in its most primal form, basically. Um, and when put into space and you know set against, uh, I don't know, the extremities of space it goes insane and tears everything apart. Uh, There's a lot you could read into that. I think it's important, that it's a monkey. It's not just like a random, it's not like a dog. It's not like a monster. It is a reflection of us going mad and destroying everything around it uh, because it's separated from the earth.
1: Hmm. That sequence was awesome, man. It's it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. It's a tiny horror movie in the middle of this movie. And it's also one of those moments where I felt like anything can happen in this movie. I, I, I don't know... You know, it's throwing curveballs at me, which is a fun thing. I like, And that, I feel like there was a few moments like that where you feel like this movie has ideas that I don't see coming, which is really cool.
2: Yeah, I love I mean, thinking you, sci-fi movie that isn't afraid to just go, I'm going to be a horror movie. I'm going to be Mad Max on the moon. I, I can be anything. It's yeah. exciting.
0: All right. Well, I'm really glad you guys enjoyed the movie. I did not have as good of a time. But, uh, again, there were so many cool sequences, so many cool ideas. I wish I enjoyed the movie more. Um, but I'm glad you guys got a lot out of it. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of our episode this week. That's our review of Ad Astra. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And stay tuned Here we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Devinder Hardaway can find more of your work on the internet.
2: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at at Davindra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Stay tuned there, because we're going to be launching the Engadget podcast really soon. Ooh. How about you, Jeff?
1: Well, first, I want to once again say a huge thank you to everybody who supported me through my recovery from surgery and all the kind messages. People, uh, last week when Davindra and I uh, did the uh, first episode, I was officially back, it was just so sweet to h- hearing all that stuff, and it really did mean a lot to me. So thank you one and all. Again, I appreciate it very, very much. I'm very happy to be back doing my normal slate of shows, which means I'm doing DLC, the video game podcast, uh, which you can find at 5by5.tv slash DLC. And I'm also back on The Dungeon Run, which is a show I'm very proud of. It's a live play Dungeons & Dragons show where I'm the dungeon master. It means I'm weaving a story for these players to go through And right now, they're at the bottom of the ocean fighting this incredible giant kraken. I hope you check it out. I'm really proud of the show, and I think you'll like it. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run, or you can find it as an audio podcast, wherever you get audio podcasts, by searching for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch it live Wednesday nights on Caffeine at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon
0: Run. And uh, find all of my stuff at DaveChen.net. I'm also doing a new podcast, Conversations with Interesting Artists, Filmmakers, Authors, every week at CulturallyRelevantShow.com. And on Culturally Relevant uh, uh, is a place you can search for it in Apple Podcasts as well. uh, And next week, we are going to be reviewing Joker, uh, the new Joaquin Phoenix take on the iconic Batman villain, Should be an interesting conversation. Oh, boy. That's what's on deck for next week's episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Good to be back with you, gents. Uh, We'll see you next week on the Slash Filmcast.